I know that many of you already read this online because it was shared by lots of people on Facebook at least, and I don't know what's on Instagram and the rest of it, but uh, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis that's been making the rounds for the last three or four days that I want to read to you for those of you who did not see it. This was written in 1948 about the fear that spread all over the world about the atomic bomb. Oh no, we're all going to die in an atomic war. It's going to be a nuclear holocaust. How do we live in, in the nuclear age now? This is 1948, C.S. Lewis. You just replace anything he says about bomb or atomic bomb with what's going on right now, the plague that's in the world right now. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you already live in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids and railway accidents and car accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. And we still have that. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world that is already full of such chances and in which death itself is not a chance at all but a certainty. Come on. We don't have a chance of dying. We are going to die. And many of us in very unpleasant ways. Who cares if there's one more way? There's already a million. So this is the first point to be made. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, you're filling in current events. Let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying and working and teaching and reading and listening to music and bathing the children and playing tennis and chatting with our friends over a pint of beer and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep in a closet thinking about bombs. Amen. If the bomb is going to destroy us, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying and working and teaching and reading and listening to music and bathing the children and playing tennis and chatting to our friends over a pint of beer and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep in a closet afraid of bombs. They may break our bodies, but they do not dominate our minds. Amen. I had a dream a couple weeks ago that at the time did not make any sense. I knew it was a spiritual dream. I I kind of have a sense when a dream I've had is spiritual from God or when it's just random nonsense uh, that ran through my mind in the night. I knew this one was spiritual and something God was trying to tell me about. I didn't know what because at the time it didn't make any sense, but it's beginning to make sense now. In my dream, Sarah and I are in a house and there are other people in the house, some of whom I know and some of whom I don't know, but I honestly don't remember who was with us. Uh, We were in a house and outside are these meteor fireballs uh, falling. And they're not bombs, they're fireballs from like outer space, um, the sky. But they sound like bombs, really loud whistles. And then they would hit with huge explosions, very powerful concussions that were shaking the house. 
Some of the people in the house were scared and panicking. Others were just sitting there waiting to get hit and die. Uh, In my dream, Sarah was concerned about our kids. Where are they? Are they okay? Um, Outside of the house was like no man's land between the trenches in World War I. There was nothing alive. Everything had been hit. There was craters. Everything was gray, dust and smoke. And again, not bomb explosions, but just these massive booms that were shaking the house. There's no way you could have gone outside and lived. And I was just, in my dream, I'm just waiting for one to hit the house. Well, we're toast. There's nothing to do. We can't run away. Go outside in that because it was just continual, just one after another. And in my dream, I'm just waiting for one to hit the house and and we're done. There was one hit very close. It was particularly concussive to to the house, but it didn't fall. I, I couldn't believe that it was getting shaken so hard and it did not fall, and did not hit us, and we were totally safe. Even though it was danger and death all around, in the house, we were totally safe. That was my dream. I don't know exactly what all that means, but I know that what one thing it does mean is there is a place of shelter where we are safe. In my dream, that was my house. You can do whatever you want with that. You can Take that or whatever you need to take it for, but stay home. I don't mean stay in your house. I mean stay where home is. Don't run away. You will die if you run. Just stay under the shelter that God has given you to be sheltered under. Hebrews 12 Quoting Haggai 2, God says, Again, I will shake heaven and earth. I will shake everything that can be shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. There was unbelievable shaking going on. Not a soldier, so I I can't say that I know what a bomb or an IED is like going off in Iraq or Afghanistan, but, but what I was in what was happening are very close outside of this house. Has to be something close to that. It was terrible, but we were all safe. Nothing bad happened. Amen. Stay put. It's going to get worse. I want to ask you this morning, in light of all that, who is your God? Everybody has a God, whether they know it or not. Everybody gives their life and worships and sees as Savior something or someone. Our God is whoever we obey. Our God is whoever we serve. Everybody gives their life and time and money to serve something, whether it's their own retirement account or their own fame or other people or God. Everybody has a God, and it's whoever you obey and serve. It's who you give your money to. Whatever you would pay for to not have to give up is your God. Because when we pay for something, we are taking all of the effort and time and life that it took to get that money, and we are saying, here is my life, however long it took to get this $200, my life is worth this thing. Hello? Whatever we give our money to is our God. Whether that's alcohol or sports or 
our own savings accounts. You're serving some purpose. You're giving your life, your time, through your money, you're giving yourself away to something. Whatever you give your time to is your God. Whatever you will sacrifice to have. We are seeing people make some pretty huge sacrifices right now in terrible fear. France closed all restaurants yesterday. Like, How are people supposed to get food? The sacrifices that are being demanded by this God are ridiculous. Like, Where is the end of what we would give up? Hello? I mean, we're talking about now closing down interstate travel. Like, you can't leave the state. No trucks, no airlines, no nothing. That will destroy the world. That's a sacrifice to a God, folks. A God we think will save us. What do you sacrifice to? What are you willing to give up in order to keep something? Whatever it is you're hoping to get or keep, that's your sacrifice to a God. What do you sacrifice to? What do you concentrate on? The Bible word is meditate. Whatever repetitively and continually occupies your thoughts is your God. The Bible word is meditate. God says meditate on me and my word. But a whole bunch of you stay up at night meditating on other stuff. Why? Because that's your God. Either your fear of this or that happening or not, or your own feelings, your depression, your, your worries, your finances, whatever keeps you up at night, whatever occupies your thoughts all day long, is your God. Because God says, meditate on me, but you're meditating on other stuff too. Whatever you teach your kids about is your God. Some of you have been showing your kids who your gods are by what fear and panic and worry you are speaking. Your kid, You may not realize it, but your kids are picking up, oh, mom and dad are very worried about that, or mom and dad think that is very, very valuable, and it's, they're sweating and uh, losing sleep over this. So that must be important to me too. Come on. Whatever you give your kids, whatever you teach your kids is your God. Some of you speak poverty. Some of you speak fear. Some of you speak excuses for your own sin or your own skipping church or whatever it is. Whatever we teach our kids about, whatever you give your kids to is your God. In the idle days of the Old Testament, they would literally kill their kids, burn them alive on on the idol statue. Today, that's abortion. That's a a sacrifice to a God, the God God of self. I, I don't want to give up my current life and freedom and situation, so I will sacrifice my child to this God. Other parents sacrifice their kids to the God of sports or to their own career, whatever we give our kids to, absolutely is our God. There are so many parents out there that think their kid has to run from lesson to lesson and practice to practice, and their childhood is sacrificed. 
to a God. Sports are not sin. Music lessons are not wrong. Don't do it to the point of sacrifice. Wherever you think your provision comes from is your God. Wherever you think what you need comes from, some of you think it's from the grocery store. The grocery store provides what you need. That's where you get it. We're going to find out that's not true. Wherever you think your provision comes from, your job or the grocery store or the welfare check, the government is my God and my Savior and they'll take care of me, everybody's going to find out that your gods will fail you. And not just our physical provision, but who provides your meaning and identity and purpose is your God. Whatever or whoever gives you meaning and identity and purpose in life, whoever gets to tell you who you are, whether that's the lies in your own head and your own depression or the abuse and tragedies of the past that you have let define you or the meaning you find in getting rich or accomplishing something in your career or the big crowds that come to hear you sing or preach or whatever it is that you dream about doing that think you're going to get validation or meaning or identity in, it's your God. Whatever you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is your God. Whatever you give your time to, whatever you dream about acquiring, the next purchase and the next purchase and the next purchase, the next trip, the next experience, whoever or whatever you think will save you when there's trouble. Who do you run to? You think the government will bail you out? You think the healthcare system is going to save us? You'll be sadly mistaken. You think law enforcement or the schools or the military, none of these things are wrong, but they're not our Savior. And they will not save us. Every one of them will meet a Goliath at some point that makes them cower in fear and they will not be able to stop it. Whatever you think or whoever you think will save you, whoever you run to when you're afraid, is your God. Where you go for comfort and reassurance when you're worried is your God. Some of you turn to alcohol, some of you turn to porn, some of you go shopping get a little retail therapy, whatever you do when you're stressed out, whatever you do to check out from reality, whatever you do that comforts you, there are people that have to go buy stuff, there's people that drink it away, there's people that get lost in the dark corners of the internet at night, it's your God because you're going to it for comfort. Whatever you fear not having becomes a God. Whatever you are afraid of, because fear is faith. Fear is faith. It's faith in the devil. Oh, this bad thing's going to happen. This terrible thing's going to happen. I'm just absolutely sure that this disaster is going to strike and we're all going to die. It's mathematical fact. That's faith, folks. 
the definition of faith is being sure of what you can't see happening yet. Come on! Hebrews 11. Faith is being absolutely convinced of what you cannot see happening. That is what is going on in the world right now this week. People are absolutely sure of what actually isn't happening yet. I know the disease is real in other places. Nothing is happening here. Nothing is happening here. But they are absolutely certain that it is and that it's going to. That is faith. These people are giants of faith. We are are created by God to live in faith because faith is reality. Not having faith is insane. I know many of you have heard me say this many times. Some people in the room haven't ever heard this, so let me cover it again. Not having faith is literal insanity. Having faith is reality. We are designed by God. We have to. Our minds have to have faith or we will literally go crazy. The people who have lost faith are drugged up or locked up. Everyone else has faith in something, either the real God or one of the gods of this world, because we have to operate in faith, and if you don't, you're crazy. No one came in this room this morning and looked at the roof and thought, oh, I hope that doesn't fall in, because that would be a crazy thing to be afraid of. Fear is crazy. Hello? You operate in the assumption of faith. You go down the freeway at 70 miles an hour in Oregon and 80 in Idaho on four bags of air that could blow up at any moment. And people zipping in and around you. And you are on bags of air. You are literally floating in a one and a half to three ton chunk of steel that would kill you before you could blink. And nobody in their right mind Nobody is, dry, is continually hyperventilating and sweating. What if my tires blow out? What if the brakes fail? You just drive down the road and you eat and you talk on your phone. Because you have faith. Because you are sane. You are giants of faith. You are giants of faith. In something. It might as well be God. Hello? Fear is faith. It's just faith in the devil, faith in disease, faith in poverty, faith in crime, faith in whatever it is you're worried about. You're absolutely certain about something that isn't happening. Come on. Whatever you're afraid of is your God. Because fear is faith. The critics of Christianity want to say that we're blind faith and we're not believing in science and and, uh, we, we just believe things we can't see. Everybody believes things they can't see. You can't see gravity, but you cross a bridge. And you just believe that maybe there's somebody here who's afraid of bridges. In general, you get all sweaty and nervous when you have to cross a bridge. Okay, yeah, when we're out walking on a suspension bridge or something, you know, everybody's like, "Woo, that's a long way down. But when you drive between here and Pendleton, how many bridges do you cross? Fifteen? You don't think about them because you operate in faith. Come on. Faith is sane. 
We all must have faith. We cannot be in our right mind without it. So if it's not God, then it's fear. And fear is faith in a different God. Whatever is your foundation, whatever you're building your life on, wherever you're standing is where you think you will be safe, and that is your God. Some of you found out this week you're standing on toilet paper. (laughs) Come on. Whatever your foundation is, is your God, because you have chosen to stand here thinking, I will be safe here. Hello. But if something gets removed and that moves you, you were standing on it. If something in our world gets removed and that moves you, I mean in, inside, in fear, or, oh, what am I going to do now? If it gets removed and that moves you, that means you had some amount of weight on, on that. You were standing on it. Most of us found out this week we were standing on toilet paper because <laughs> that did move us. If, I have, if there's a rug here and I have only three toes on it, if somebody rips that rug out from underneath me, most of my weight is not on it, but it's going to move me some because I am some standing on it. Whatever you're standing on is your God because that's where you put your weight. It's where you put your foundation. It's where you say, this is where I'm safe. This is where I build. This is zip. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Sand is a movable foundation. Sand will flow in water or wind. It will move and the house will lean and eventually the house will fall. Jesus said, you build your life, your house, your life, on my sayings and and doing them, you will not be moved. But if you build on sand, your house will fall. Any foundation that can be moved will move at some point. There will be a storm that will move its foundation. Notice Jesus does not say in the second group, You would think that the first group is Christians and the second group is the people of the world. That's not what he says. The second group is the people who hear my words and don't obey. That second group that built their house on the sand is not the people of the world. It's people who are fake Christians who say they're following Jesus, but they're not obeying. They're out living like the world. It isn't just that you know the word of God. You have to obey it. Obedience is the rock. Disobedience is the sand. Jesus says you are a fool for building on disobedience. Your life will crash down, and you will not be able to stop it. So some gods are sports. I don't know what those people are going to do for the next six months. (laughs) Sports is a huge idol in America that people give their time and money. They work to earn the money, and then they literally give their life to the sports. Come on, either watching or playing, practice six and a half days a week, run, 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 play, play. Sports is an idol. 
Not that anybody goes around thinking it's going to be a savior, but absolutely people sacrifice to it. Come on, sacrifice means to give to the point of pain and loss. Absolutely sports is an idol, and that one has come crashing down. God's up to some stuff here. Some people think the government is their, their God. Of course, they would never use that language, but, but they obey the government. They serve the government. They give their money to the government. They think their money comes from the government. And they think that when hard times hit, the government will save them. Law enforcement and the military and the president and Congress and will always find a solution and, and I'll be safe as long as I bow down at this God. Some people it's health care. Some people it's the financial system. Some people it's education. We found out this week that a lot of us think it's the supply chain. But when the supply chain gets disrupted and I can't buy what I want when I want it, that disturbs my life and I get afraid. What if there's no toilet paper? Most of the royalty in world history has lived without toilet paper, folks. We have it so good. The supply chain apparently is one of our gods because we're willing to sacrifice a lot to keep it running. And it will save us. If I can just get a bag of rice and some toilet paper, I'll be okay. Convenience is an American God. And we sacrifice babies and money and time at that idol of selfishness like nobody else. We meditate on our own convenience and our own entertainment like no people in world history ever have. Other people, your God is hard work, which is just another form of selfishness. When their problems come like this, immediate thought is not to run to God, but oh, I just have to work harder. I'm going to have to get another job. I'm going to have to drive to Salt Lake to Costco to get what I need. You know, like there isn't anything in any Costco anywhere. But there were people from Washington in Boise yesterday looking for toilet paper and groceries because Washington is so bad. I'm not blaming them for anything. I'm just, that's some serious desire. You're going to drive from Seattle to Boise to find some Charmin and some beans. I'm not blaming anybody. We're an incredibly ignorant and weak people who don't know how to do anything for ourselves. We have lost all the skills of our ancestors. We only know how to shop. Seriously. Even most of us who have a job, we don't know how that job is done. We just know our part in it. In the manufacturing process or the whatever. We're in trouble. We're stupid. We are the most ignorant people in world history. I mean it. The cavemen knew more than we do about how to make things and survive. So I don't, I'm not judging people who drove from Seattle to Boise. I'm just saying that, that shows how bad off we are as a whole. We are slaves to gasoline and electricity. Slaves. But if your answer is, well, I, I can take care of myself then you are your own God. You're not going to save you either. 
But if God is your God, then you'll obey Him. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. If the God and Father of Jesus is our God, we will obey Him and we will serve Him. Matthew 4.10, Jesus said, away, from you, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Everything we do is to be to serve God's purposes, not even our own livelihood. It is to serve Him. We will give Him our money and our time. We will sacrifice to Him. Every God requires sacrifice, including ours. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sacrifice means to give to the point of pain and loss. Let me say it again. Sacrifice means to give past the point of pain and loss. And God says, you give me your bodies. And that's reasonable in light of what Jesus did for us. That isn't extreme. It isn't radical Christianity. It is reasonable. Hello? If you are not tithing, he's not your God. Because you will give money to your God, whoever, wherever your money goes, whether that's your own entertainment and the things you want to buy or all of it goes to savings in your retirement account and you're hoarding it for yourself, you are giving money to your God. If you are generous and you are tithing and you're taking care of the church and the people around you, then God is your God. If God is your God, he will have your money. He will have your time. He will have even your body. Wherever you concentrate on is your God. Psalm 119, 148 says, My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. I say it again, whatever keeps you awake at night is your God. Are you up fearing, worrying, in depression, beating yourself up with accusation and condemnation and lies and guilt and shame? Or are you excited about God and I can't even sleep because i I got to read my Bible some more. I've got to pray some more. His time with Him is so beautiful. Which one is it? Wherever you concentrate on, that's your God. Whatever you teach your kids about, whatever you give your kids to, is your God. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them with your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. If God is your God, your kids will know it. They will hear it, and they will see it. They will see how you're different than other people, the parents of their friends. Whatever you teach your kids about, whatever you give your kids to, parents, we have to give our kids up. Everybody whose kid has graduated from high school and moved on knows that. We're right in the middle of that experience now, but we have to give our kids up. We cannot keep them small. We cannot protect them. I told you about how I felt when Freedom broke her leg that I just wanted to take it for her. I would have gladly have broken my own leg if it had fixed hers. I talked with Greg yesterday and how horrible it is that we can't fix our kids' broken hearts. We have to give them to God. You will give your kid up to something. Give them to God. Wherever you give your kids to, that is your God. 
Wherever you think your provision comes from, that's your God. I read to you three weeks ago in Hosea. God says, I gave you wine and grain and water, and you took those things and offered them to other gods, saying that they came from them. God has given us so much, and we waste it on our own gods, our own entertainment and free time and sports and all the stuff that isn't sin, but we're giving the money God gave to us to these other gods. If God is your God, you will know that your provision comes from Him. And again, not just your physical provision, but your meaning and your identity and your purpose. Does that come from what God has said about you, or do you believe somebody else? Is your faith more in your own lies, in your own head, in your own fear and depression, in the past abuses that you haven't moved past? Or is your identity and meaning and purpose and validation come from this book and who God says you are? If you are absolutely certain this is who you are, because God has said who you are, then God is your God. Because your meaning and your validation and your identity come from Him. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then He really is your God. Whoever you think will save you when there's trouble, whoever you call Savior, whether you use that word or not, whoever you think is your Savior is your God. From Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Nobody else will save us but Jesus, folks. Nobody else can save us from hell. Nobody else can resurrect us from the dead. And that is all that matters. We're so focused on this life, we think the healthcare system will save us, and the government will save us, and the economy will save us, and hospitals and schools and the stock market are not sin. But when we make a system out of them that we put our trust in, we have turned it into an idol. They're not going to save us. There is no nurse, there is no police officer, there is no president, there is no school teacher that can save us. Hear me. I'm not saying those things are sin, but when we put our trust in them, they have become our God. If God is our God, you will know that only Jesus Christ can save If you know Jesus, you know that he is the only one who is immovable, the only one we can trust, and his eternal salvation is all that matters. What happens in this life and this body doesn't matter compared to what comes afterwards. Wherever we turn for comfort is our God. Matt and Kylie, even in the midst of fresh heartbreak, tears, that highest level of loss yesterday as we were talking and they cried and asked questions and we asked those unanswerable questions of why what if this is all a bad dream and why can't we go back to thursday and even in the middle of all that they have hope because god is their comfort they know their son is with jesus they know that they will grieve their way through this and it will be okay that there will be light on the other side of whatever this becomes whatever this is i have been in funerals and intensive care units and homes of people who do not know jesus when they've lost a child or some other sort of tragedy and it is a horrendous experience because there is absolutely no 
hope, no comfort at all in those families, in those people. There is only anger and blame and hopelessness and a complete emptiness. But Matt and Kylie are not empty because they know where comfort comes from. And so, yes, we cried and we talked and we hugged and we prayed. They're not grieving as those who have no hope. This isn't the end of their life. It isn't the end of the world. Amen. Wherever you go for comfort is your God. The name of God's Holy Spirit is the Comforter. And His comfort has no side effects. Unlike alcohol or porn or shopping. They will only get you deeper in trouble. Whatever you fear is your God. Whatever you are afraid to not have, whatever you are desperate for is your God. Whatever you are afraid of, because fear is faith. Deuteronomy 5.29, God says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. God says, I don't even know, 200 times maybe, just an estimate in Scripture, fear me, or you don't fear me. Whatever we fear is our God. Uh, this week, as things progressed, uh, the governor's edicts and such, it did not even occur to me that it should be a discussion, much less a decision about whether we would meet this morning. Didn't even occur to me. And then I find out all these other churches are canceling service. And I don't judge a single one of them. Most of them that did have to because of the number limitation the government ordered down, even though the Constitution says the right of the people to peaceably assemble shall not be infringed, which is every bit as important as anything else in the First and Second Amendment. But I'll just, I won't go there. I don't judge any church that had to because the government says. I don't judge even the smaller ones who decided to do an online meeting or home meetings or whatever. I just know that when I found out all these other churches are canceling service, I was struck with fear, but it was the fear of the Lord. Like, oh no, we cannot do this. We cannot bow to this God. And some people that I highly respect made decisions that I would not want to make myself. And so I went in to Sarah and like, I'm thinking, it didn't even occur to me to wonder about it, much less debate it and make a decision. Like, we're not bowing to this God. But I went to Sarah and I was like, this guy and this guy and this guy and like, they're canceling their service. And she looked, her eyes get real big and she looks at me and she says, we're not. <laughs> and like, I, if I had asked our board of elders, should we cancel service? I, I, you know, people are afraid. And if I had done that, I would not be able to look God in the eye. And I wouldn't be able to look her in the eye. Because <laughs> I don't judge anybody that's not here this morning. I don't judge any church that made a different decision. I just know that at least for this morning, we had to come. We had to make a statement of faith and say, we're not giving into this fear. I know there's people who are not here this morning because they're sick otherwise. You know, there's a terrible flu and cold thing going around, and we told them, don't come. So don't judge anybody that's not here, and I'm not, don't judge anybody that's not having church. Lots and lots of different reasons and decisions. But, and I don't know what's coming next week. I don't know. 
where we'll, what we'll be doing next Sunday. But today, we're not bound to this God. We're bound to this God. We're saying, we fear you more than any plague. And you are more valuable of our time and our attention than any disease. Amen. Fear God. He, if he's your God, you will fear him. You will be afraid to sin. I said you will be afraid to sin. Doesn't mean there isn't mercy and forgiveness, but you will be afraid to sin. I cannot take that lightly. I fear God because he is my God. It's part of faith and it's part of love, is fearing God. Whatever the foundation of your life is, that's your God. Acts 20, verse 22. Paul says, See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. The Holy Spirit is prophesying through prophets in each congregation as he goes toward Jerusalem. Every church he visits, another prophet says, Paul, you're going to go to jail. You're going to get beat up. Eventually, you're going to be executed. And Paul says, doesn't change my plans. Because I know who I am, and I know who God is, and I know what his word is, and I know what my assignment is. And nothing changes my assignment. Nothing changes my assignment. Come on, more than four of you. Nothing changes my assignment. Your assignment is your assignment. The gospel of God is the gospel of God. Believe it. Obey it. Do it. Regardless of what the world is saying is going on around you. Do not be moved. The feeling of fear is not a sin, but if you make a decision based on what you're scared of, you have sinned. If you start doing something or stop doing something because you're afraid of what might or might not happen, you have sinned. Just move forward in what God, who God is and who He said you are and what your assignment is. March forward. Our lives are forfeit to honor His name. If you think we're going to return to some sort of normalcy, you're, you're missing the point. I think in just a couple of years, we will look back on last week and think, those were the good old days. I'm serious. It isn't going back. The government has grabbed too much power. Spiritually, there is way too much fear been released. The precedents have been set. We've been being softened up for this spiritually by the forces of hell, I mean, for years, decades. We've got to know how to march forward in faith, where our provision comes from, what our assignment is, quit living for ourselves and our own entertainment, quit trying to preserve our own lives. got to quit trusting the hospitals for healing. It comes from God. We're not trusting the economy for our income. It comes from God. We're not trusting the government for protection. It comes from God. Amen. The military, law enforcement, hospitals, schools are not sin. None of it's sin. In fact, schools and hospitals are Christians' ideas. We, the church created those things. 
but they are not our Savior. And any system we have built is part of Babylon, and God will shake it till it crumbles. And our attitude has to be, none of these things move me. Don't run outside the house. None of these things move me. Wherever your foundation is, is who your God is. If something is moved, and it moves you, you are standing on something that isn't God, because God and His Word are immovable. Every command and every promise are true, and He is the solid rock that we build on. Amen.